I agreed, and then you fell off the internet. The internet ran away from me. Right, well, welcome to episode 16 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Today on the panel, we have Kenneth Colmer. Good evening. And Gabriel Fortuna. Hey, guys. So, this evening we are talking about user groups and conferences. Uh, why bother with them? So, I think the three of us here are all pretty well connected to the to the community through user groups and conferences, but I think it'll be a good conversation to just talk about what we get out of it and what motivates us to keep being involved so yeah let's let's start talking <laughs> yeah cool i mean there's there's no one really here in the against camp i mean we're all going to be saying why we love them and why they're so amazing but i suppose we'll try and stay as balanced as possible well considering we're a bunch of antisocial programmers that's actually quite something right yeah i think i'm antisocial no i'm not Kenny can be the exception. He'll be the balance for this. <laughs> I was thinking we can take more of like a list of actual good st stuff that you can really take away from any kind of community events. I think um, maybe like one of the more important things is basically, I guess to me it's like the two kinds of learning that happens. So, and as an example is to be like, you'd go to a meetup specifically for a topic that somebody's talking about and then you end up like learning something from that. And then the whole accidental side, there might be a second talk or a lightning talk before, or you go for the lightning talk and then the bigger talk, or just people you meet around the space afterwards that you can get so much more learning from. Uh, I think that's one thing that keeps me consistently going. Even if it is a meetup, I really know everybody really well, like Josie RB that we've been running for years now. It's like every time there's something valuable, I still have to leave that space disappointed. So that's kind of the most important one for me for participating in these community events. I don't know what you yeah. guys feel about that. Yeah, I find whenever I'm at a community event, going back to when I first started getting involved when I was still doing C Sharp professionally um, and involved with Microsoft groups, there were always either people there who I'd be able to learn something from, whether it was during talks or, you know, outside of the outside of the actual conference content and um, during just get together at a desk and start talking about some code that you're working on. But there's always been something that's accidental that's always been valuable from these events. Yeah, it's kind of like um, ambient ambient knowledge, right? You're, you're just kind of sitting there and then all of a sudden this one guy whips up a project and it's not even what it's about. It's kind of, it's this thing that he just happened to be doing because he got distracted for a minute and you see something new or you see something that it actually inspires you to go back to your job and start learning something. That for me has been very valuable. It happens pretty much consistently and constantly every time I go to a conference or a meetup group. It happens every single time. And the networking angle? So Kenneth, before he, he drops off, was talking about the networking angle. And for me, that's also been extremely valuable. I think, I think there might be sort of a, a bit of a bad 
connotation to networking. It always implies that you're trying to get some kind of business angle out of things. But for me, just uh, being able to meet members of the community and expand my, my sort of reach into the community has actually helped me. It's helped other people's careers through me. Um, for instance, uh, I've, by virtue of me meeting you, Kevin, uh, through Codes and Coffees and Josie RBs, I mean, like how many, how many people have joined Platform 45 by virtue of the fact that like you and I first met many years ago, right? It's just interesting that how even back in 2011, I, when I joined Platform 45, that also came through community events and how, I mean, I met people who pointed me in that direction through, through the community. When I, that was when I first started getting into Ruby programming as a switching profession from C sharp and the, the networking angle. So just to talk about networking a bit there, I have never found the negative angle in networking. I don't know why it gets a bad rap. It's to me, it's one of the most valuable things, even if it's just socially, just to get to know people and to expand your knowledge professionally. Um, so I, I think the negative angle for me is, um, I've, I have seen sort of a, a darker side at meetups, but obviously it's in the vast shrinking minority. Uh, you do tend to get almost like predators, <laughs> There. It's, I know it's a very loaded word, predators, but you do get people that go there just to see if they can like score a new hire or you know find some free work. Um, so I think that does need to be watched out for, and I think people that maintain and lead communities need to be on the lookout for that kind of thing and keep it to a minimum as much as possible. Yeah, I do agree. I think that the community spaces that we do have must be protected from. The word predator, yeah, it's a loaded term, but I understand what you're saying. Um, because you don't want to, in the first place, someone wouldn't want to send their devs to these community events knowing that they might be poached. Uh, and the other side is you don't want to just be bombarded with with recruiters coming up at you every time you go to a community event when you're actually there to either network with other developers and talk about code or something along those lines. Yeah, that's that's precisely what I mean. Uh, like from from the angle of someone who who hires people, like I, I would be very. I mean, obviously you can't control people. That's that's one of those things. But I mean, I would be I would be quite miffed if I knew that every single time one of my guys went to a meetup or a conference, they came back with a resignation and ready to join some other company. It's just one of those things. So I think the one thing is um, I don't know how you stop a dev looking for an opportunity i mean that will happen and i guess the more you try and keep him away or, or th them away from like any kind of thing like this the more you're actually pushing them away from yourself uh, but i also think for companies wanting to attract talent and not like just full jobs you know like nurture long-term relationships i think it's a great way to uh, get involved with communities especially if you provide a safe space or some kind of sponsorship, you send one of your team members with a credit card to just help sure other people have a good time. That's a, a great long play if you can do it successfully and, and just steadily. Definitely. I, I think absolutely the benefits far outweigh any kind of downside. You're going to get stronger developers. They're, they're going to make their own networks that will benefit an employer in the long run. It's There's... 
the upside vastly outweighs any kind of bad stuff. Yeah, because as soon as you've got one good hire through a community event like that, the effect is, it's going to be an exponential effect. You're going to pick up or anything that you've invested in that will come back to you. And there's lots of cross-pollination opportunities. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking now about Peter Kermesheis's uh, work with the Vent Store and how that almost crossed development boundaries. I mean, the fact that the Ruby community in Joburg, at the very least, is talking a lot about event, store, event sourcing is, I would think, in some small part, thanks to Peter's work and the fact that he's a part of the community in South Africa. That's very yeah. true. Yeah, there's a lot of that technology agnostic type of stuff that just getting involved in and hearing about through user groups and through the community, whether it's also that ZA developer Slack group has made a massive impact in our just general uh, visibility of what guys in South Africa are up to. And that's where I first heard about that GitHub install that Peter Hermeses is working on was through conversations that were happening in ZA developer Slack. And I suppose if if you think about it, I mean, that's, that's a user group by itself. The fact that it doesn't happen in meat space is kind of irrelevant. True, and we're getting close to 400 people in there now. It's quite a, quite a lot of people, a lot of developers in one space. I've got a, I think like an extension to this of people together, and you kind of say that discovery, that sharing of skills that you don't know people had, or maybe you didn't even know you had it yourself, is, I guess for a lot of people, just being able to be in a room with others and telling them a little bit of what they do is like a great alternative to this or enhancement to this GitHub as a CVH that we're living in. We chatted a bit about it in the prequel. There's a lot of, if you think about like young parents that just simply don't have after hours um, to do open source work or write blog posts, they can participate in like Slack during the day. And maybe once a month or once every two months, they can come out and show face in a community event. And that's also just a, oh, I guess, a great way to, to show off what they can do and, and keep themselves fresh. And who knows? Maybe it's an escape. I'm not a, not a dad, so I wouldn't know. Gabriel? It's, it's totally an escape. Gabriel is the authority on this, on this call. It is 1,000% an escape. Shameless about it, are you? So the other thing is just, hiring through word of mouth you know we i see some of the best hires that i've i've seen happen have happened through people meeting at user groups just finding hey i'm interested in working on the same stuff you're interested in how can we work together and in general i find better quality hires through the people who are interested in just making that escape if it's that and getting to community events and having some contribution to make. Well, I think uh, Simon Stewart would agree with me on this point, maybe. Uh, but by virtue of the fact that you are going to user groups and you're going to conferences, you are already putting yourself in the 1% of developers, you know, the top 1% of developers. So there's a bit of a self-selection going on there. But I mean, that's also great, right? The fact that The fact that you're just even there means that you're probably better than 95% of the other developers who just look at it as a job versus people who look at it as a craft and a career. So yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great way to filter out really great developers from the get go. Then also getting involved in 
these kinds of you know user groups events and actually starting to share at these events and when you start proposing to give talks or run workshops whatever it may be that also in that in the same sense of self-selection puts puts people forward in such a way that they're able to that they're noticed i really think i mean you give you give one talk on on something and you will become known as the you know the the event store guy or the event sourcing guy and that will do wonders for your careers yeah i saw that i only think about it we had that talk recently about elastic search and jürgen stetoyer's seriously the elastic search guy that i think of now no that's that's exactly it right he he when you think elastic search now you immediately think of jürgen's and i mean what more could you want out of like building a brand for yourself it definitely hits a good niche on that. But I can see when I first started giving talks, the, the very first talk I gave was at the Microsoft Devs for Devs group in, I think it was 2010. Um, I was talking about in Hibernate, uh, object, an ORM in .NET. And it was a couple of months later, an email dropped in my inbox asking if I'd be willing to do some training on in Hibernate. Now, I had literally just gone out um, on a limb, just something that I was interested in. I thought it was better than anything else that was out, available in the .NET space at the time. Um, I really liked it, just gave a talk on this is what's new in the new version of Inhibernate, and it opened up all kinds of opportunities. Yeah, it's, it's super valuable. If, you, if you've if you got the time, if you can put the effort into into putting yourself out there, because it does take a lot out of you, I think it's highly valuable. And it, I think it's, it needs to be a safe space for beginners, for talks at least. And I think the smaller meetups, the cozier ones, um, it's a great place to start. I remember my first talk I did, this was one of the very first uh, Ruby on Beers before it was Josie RB. And I was just looking on Vimeo now. That was in 2009. And I think that might have been for an audience of four or five people. And that was just enough to kind of like give you that or give me that boost and say this is possible and then it, you can do it in front of 10 people and then 20 people and then the next moment you know you're speaking at a well if you want to at least you've got like a way to ramp up to speak to a bigger conference in front of more people and it's i've grown to like it a lot i find it a lot of fun but i definitely don't think it's for everybody and i don't think anybody should be ever forced to do that kind of thing but it's a it's a great skill that you can take back to i think especially bigger companies or if you are the kind of guy that works on projects where you need to face the clients often just being able to speak in front of a handful of people with confidence i think carries itself over to video calls and conference calls and podcasts like this it's a great great training ground for for a unique set of skills also, if you have to speak to management of your own company or something like that, it's it's a great place to build confidence. I mean, I used to absolutely dread the idea of public speaking uh, all through school. Trust me, that was the one thing I absolutely hated doing. But given a topic that I'm interested in and some people who are willing to listen, I, it's hard to get me away from it now. So... Kenneth, you raised two very good points there. Uh, and uh, the first one is, I mean, a really good developer 
does more than just write code day in and day out, right? I mean, they're also able to articulate their ideas to decision makers and stakeholders. And speaking to you, speaking in front of groups, whether they're small or large, is something that I think can really help nurture that skill, right? Definitely, definitely. Otherwise, you end, I, well, I believe, and I think I've seen it happen where decisions get made for developers because they're too afraid to speak up. And I think, yes, there's a lot of times where the structures don't allow them to have a voice, which like, I feel really bad for anybody who's in a situation like that. But generally, I think they should just open their mouth. And this is a great way to build up and practice before your peers, people that are like way more similar than you before you start speaking to people that are different than you. And that raises that ra uh, brings me to the second point I wanted to raise around around that is that there's nothing stopping developers from creating mini communities within their organization. So create like if you've got like a team of if you're in a big company with a team of I don't know six developers and on the other side of the company there's a team of five developers. You know, start a monthly sharing session. Those are ultra valuable as well. I was listening to. I think it's the Arista DevOps podcast. It's giving it a shot. And they were talking there about DevOps days, how the DevOps guys, I think the DevOps days as an organization or a unit or a collective, they guide people in running their own versions of the conference or the set of workshops. And they especially hammered on what you just said, like a great way to start is to just do it in the company, like run a mini DevOps day, start with a lunch and learn and then grow it into an afternoon and then from the afternoon, start growing it into a full day. And from that, you can consistently pull out improvements and give it back to management and go like, look, we did this thing. We need more time so we can do more of these great things. But somewhere they just need to like start it and get it going. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I forgot about that. It feeds back into a company. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Google's 20% time that I think everyone's looked at, tried to spending trying to spend one fifth of their time on something that's not perhaps not directly related to their day in day out work. Um, and perhaps a day a week or a day a month doing these kinds of sharing sessions in, inside a company. I've, from what I've seen, it's incredibly valuable, but I just think the consistency of it was also important. You know, if you do it once, you're not going to see much of a, uh, a result out of that. But if you, are able to do it for three, four, five months, perhaps one one day a month, or one day a week, even. Eventually, with with consistency, we'll start seeing results coming out of this. And I do think that is one of the attributes that make a community or a user group successful is that element of consistency. Yes, the fact that it happens and you don't even need to schedule it in your calendar. You can just rock up. Yeah, all of the events that I know that are fairly popular in the Joburg area, at least either happen on a given day of the month, like the first or the fifth, whatever it may be, or the, say the first Wednesday or the second Tuesday, uh, anything like that. Every, every week on a Thursday, we've got our code and coffee. You know, it's something that's always happening that even if you don't RSVP on the meetup, although please do for the sake of event organizers and catering, uh, but even if you don't RSVP, you know that you're going to find people there. And let me ask this, bigger conferences, the ones that happen every year, 
or only once a year at least, that take way more effort to go to. If would you guys, what's your feeling around those? And would you pay out of your own pocket to go to your favorite conference if your company can't sponsor you or, or don't want to sponsor you or feels it's irrelevant? Like, name a few. Like, what do you guys think is a, a great way to go spend a few days with a bunch of people as opposed to an hour once a month? Well, obviously, Ruby Fuser. I mean, should I take a loan? I'll take a loan from the bank to go to Ruby <laughs> Fuser if my, my company couldn't pay for it. Yeah, Ruby Fuser is kind of special. Um, I mean, that's one. If my company weren't going to pay for that, then I would definitely you know, shell out of my own pocket to get out there. Yeah, I agree. That's a fantastic conference. Um, but at the same time, the the tickets to Ruby Fuser are very reasonably priced and accessible to someone reaching out of their own pocket. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the going rate these days are, but I know of conferences that run 5,000 Rand plus for attendance. And that, I don't know, that's reaching into, it's going into a space that's unreachable for a lot of people to reach out of their own pockets. Yeah, the pricing gap is a big one. I think it's a, also, sadly enough, it can also deny a lot of people opportunity. I, I think that's why I've got a lot of respect for, for Mark Halligers and Simon Stewart, so with Fusa and Jason SAS, that they don't do it for money. Like, they do it for the sheer love of it. The tickets are affordable, and I'm sure they can make it cheaper, but they don't want to because then there's a lot of stuff that just makes the day that disappears. Stuff like the coffee machines and all the swag and fundal gifts and general excitement that, that keeps people going, cupcakes and, and who knows what else. Well, I mean, with, with Jason and say, we we paid for our own tickets, um, Ridwana and I. We woke up at like six in the morning, got the early bird. Well, we missed the early bird tickets because that thing sold out in like three hours. But I was more than happy to pay for my own ticket there. And I got... I got multiples of my money back. Yes, you did. <laughs> and yeah, same year. We also brought a lot of gifts and prizes and stuff home. But I also paid out of my pocket. It's, it was just so worth it. It's a, that one and, and Fusa, it's like a pay and then submit a proposal later. So it doesn't matter whether I get accepted for a talk or not. And like, luckily enough, if, if, if I'm lucky enough to get accepted, like, then I just flog off the ticket at the same price. Somebody else scores an early bird months later. First come, first serve. And uh, have you guys been to any other biggish conferences? I've done Tech for Africa two years, three years, two years with startup competitions. That's a bit different, and that's that's also a lot of fun. I haven't been to the now that it's at Saibono. Curious to see how that went. Um, but also, I did a PyCon Gabriel with you. Was it last year? Yeah, last year. Oh, that right. was interesting. It's completely out of my depth. It was such a different conference that I was used to. But it's still nice seeing a bunch of people there that I only ever see at other meetups. And it kind of shrinks the world. So that was pretty cool. And then Agile Africa, I didn't do the conference part, but we, I joined for some of the workshops uh, on the workshop day, which was a lot of fun. And I was really happy that they like, offered that opportunity. I mean, for me, that was an expensive conference. I mean, they brought a lot of stellar people out. But we could nitpick and go like like same out of our pocket, like pay for, for two little courses and go spend the morning with Kent Beck and the afternoon we had another amazing amazing class. So that was fantastic. Having access to the workshops 
in parallel to the conference. I don't know if that's the same for FUSA, if the Saturday workshops are also open for anybody. I think some of them are. They have been in the past. Um, but also with Agile Africa, when Kent Beck was out here, they, that I know Driven organized a evening with Kent Beck that uh, it was very well attended. It must have been close to 200 people there. Uh, for something that was organized just ad hoc on meetup.com announced on the Monday. That was a fantastic evening of just being able to pick his brain for a bit. I think the recording of that is on YouTube somewhere. Oh, well, I'd have to go go check that out. In terms of biggish conferences, um, I've been to the Microsoft TechEd and the Microsoft Dev Days conferences in the past. TechEd is incredibly well put together. Um, that was my, that was my first conference in two thousand and nine, uh, and it was pretty cool. They had some guys from the C-Sharp compiler team out. They had some really good people out there to, to speak to us. So I left there with my brain in a bit of a state of meltdown, but it was really useful. Yeah, I found that corporate conferences tend to be in another league entirely. And I suppose that's just because they've got access to to the people, right? Like, I mean, Microsoft can tell the C-Sharp compiler team, get yourself to that conference. And I suppose they've got the money to back it up, right? And they've got, obviously, like a very large and silent community just waiting. So there is that. But there's some, like, like Kenneth mentioned, there's something special about the community-based conferences like PyCon and Fusa and Jason SA. They just have a certain flavor to them, which is quite magical. So perhaps we can take a segue also into kind of more workshoppy events, code retreats. We spoke to Martin last week about the code retreats and mob retreats that he's working with at the moment. But um, you guys have both been to code retreats. I think I've, I've facilitated a bunch of them as well. Definitely something that I've gained a lot of value from just being involved with and networking with people there. Uh, Gabriel, I think that's where I actually met you was at a code retreat in 2012. Yeah, I can't remember if it was a retreat or if it was a code and coffee or like I saw you at the code retreat and then I saw you at the code and coffee like the very, like two days later or something like that. But it was around that time. Uh, that right. I remember doing Evil Coder at code retreat that first time. I think that was where I met you. Uh, yeah, I still wake up in cold sweats <laughs> from that. Well, we've done that a couple of times. Yeah, code retreats are scary the first time i mean the first one was very overwhelming second one was way way better and i'm looking forward to the one in two weeks in two weeks so i guess by the time this airs like 10 days or nine days the 14th of november might still be some spots available everyone should come yeah please Uh, didn't know about that put that in the put that as part of the picks please will do yes we'll definitely drop the link in one of my favorite things about code retreats is seeing people there who have been like developing for 20 plus years and this is the first time they've come to a code retreat and it's the first time they've been exposed to tdd and you see that light bulb come on and they're like oh my god i didn't realize it could be like this it's quite it's quite awesome to see that happen and it's a kind of community-based coaching that happens there because you've got a broader community all kind of rallying to learn more about this TDD thing and pair programming. I mean, those are the two skills that are primarily punted at code retreats. But I firmly believe in the concept that a higher tide raises all the boats. And I think that's why 
often we want to get involved in these that we learn something from everyone else and everyone else is able to learn at least something from us and that all in all just improves the quality of the community and sometimes you even get completely traumatized by kevin mcculvin completely poning you in the evil coder exercise that also happens i can neither confirm nor deny (laughs) (laughs) all's fair in love and war so what are the biggest I, i think like kind of as a closing kind of loop before we start getting to picks it's just like maybe if there's any other conferences that you guys know of that we can make people aware of that they can go seek out even if it's not specifically by name or or just even by topic that we've heard about through the grapevines i mean i think we know when the developer ug well there's the developer ug conference that's like once a month at microsoft and then in centurion um You'll have to check they they've got weird days for how they set it up. That one's nice and consistent. There's also the the uh, I think it's the Make Games SA guys that have the on the same day as the developer G and Bryanston. <clears throat> we said before the call there's the big Java jug that's at Oracle's offices there in Woodmeet. Uh, I've been there once. They seem to even have two tracks. They've got enough inch or they split it like beginner and more advanced topics. So they seem to pull a lot of people i've been to an android developer one that's at discoveries offices in santon if i remember right so those are definitely some ones people can go look at there's the tech and brahm ones that seems to happen infrequently but on saturdays and it's more like full day workshoppy kind of stuff android development or this OWAR thingy or something else so those are great options we've been to a php one once what? that was at yeah, at Evolitic. We went to go watch Martin talk, um, that great talk that he's been touring with on the fitness as a developer and getting out and, and taking care of yourself. So we went to go support him there. And that was pretty good. It was very small, very nice. But these guys had the effort to live stream from somebody's Android phone. They like just YouTube live broadcast, hang out on air, whatever you call it. like, And people were watching. So... That was pretty neat to see, and and I think we were only eight people there, so well, I don't know if that's still running, um, but that's one. So so PHP people have stuff. I know there's, I've heard of, I saw JavaScript ones on Meetup. But I mean, I, like it just gets too much. <laughs> have to draw the line somewhere. Now there's a lot of good meetups happening. Len used to run a Node group. I don't think that's happening at the moment, but I'm pretty sure if there were, if we had some interested speakers, that would pick up quite quickly. Um, but perhaps just a, a segue into one other part that we haven't really dug into is the unconference side. Uh, recently, we had our Ruby Decamp unconference. I know uh, Driven Software runs their annual unconference. So much stuff happens at conferences in that so-called hallway track where you've got the time between talks that the talks pretty much foster a conversation that continues afterwards elsewhere and a lot of really good stuff happens there yeah i mean the unconference format is basically like one long hallway track conference it's fantastic yeah i definitely like that format a lot the first time i went to an unconference was a bar camp and it was a bit strange at first until i settled in had a lot of fun but this decamp format was amazing i think the leadership there was just 
good enough to pin things down and go like we need these time slots at least and limits and otherwise it's like just herding cats and they <clears throat> managed to keep about 60 of us going the whole weekend sharing and working to some kind of schedule and, and then everybody helping making food and cleaning up and contributing in different ways so you might not be the best speaker but you might be a great briar and just yeah, shout, shout out to rob for yes. that one <laughs> last one rob so that Keep, is the, keeping us very well fed that weekend so i don't know if are there any other um i mean yeah there's a driven one but i don't know this is probably is it still growing the format here locally i don't know how popular it is overseas i only know of the decamp in the states as well at this kind of start i just haven't discovered others yet yeah i think it's quite a niche sort of thing to to do and uh there might there very well might be like a like a graphic designers decamp kind of thing that you just don't know about because you're completely out of that circle for instance and you actually make me think of something how tips for discovering these things how on earth <laughs> meet up and be very be very generous with your interests i'd say just find one then ask people about other ones from there I and mean, if you go to a josie rb or a code and coffee people from there will be very quick to point you in the direction of good conferences and good other user groups to meet at yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I do think that's a good tip. Once you've got your foot in the community, it's very easy to get the whole way in the door. All right, guys, well, we've been going for some time now. Shall we segue into some picks? Kenneth, maybe you can kick us off on that. Eek! Um. <laughs> Drop you into the deep end. Put the spotlight on. Into the deep end. <clears throat> so one thing I would say is like this little mic I got on Lens recommendation, this little Samson media mic. Uh, it really is the simplest thing in the world to set up. It looks pretty cool. Looks like it's from space. I was saying before the call, it's got this fantastic feedback cycle with the push to talk. That there's a little LED that shows me if I'm on air or not, which has already saved me a few times when I tried to talk. That's definitely one. I think for the conferencey stuff, definitely meet up. I think at least in my view, these guys have now lately just won that kind of discovery war and i hope more people start hosting their meetups on there so that more people can find it and i think gabriel nailed it with like just pick as many interests as you can because then they can make all these good recommendations for you i mean at least one in ten recommendations has to be useful even though through all the other stuff so that's definitely for me yeah i think that would be the two like so since we're on communities meetup is a great way to discover people and it's nice having a good mic when you're trying to host a podcast. Well, Gabriel, do you have any picks? Indeed. Uh, okay, cool. So for the people that listen to podcasts other than the ZA Dev Chat podcast, there is this amazing podcast called Song Exploder by this guy whose name I can barely pronounce. But what happens in this podcast is he tracks down an artist and then he gets them to deconstruct how they put a song together. So, for instance, uh, he spoke to Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, got him to speak about one of the songs on his new album. Um, they got the composer from Game of Thrones. That one was fascinating. It's just an unbelievably amazing podcast. And if anyone's even remotely into music, playing it, making it, just even like madly listening to it, this is the podcast to get 
Then also, if you've got a 2,800 Rand to burn in your pocket, I would recommend you mosey on over to your nearest gadget shop and buy the Sphero BB-8. It's the it's the little Star Wars drone toy from Sphero, the guys that made that, that rolling ball thing that you control with your iPhone. So what they've got is this droid from Star Wars, the new Star Wars movie that's coming up, and it's really an amazing, amazing little gadget. How it works, it's just, yeah, the future is here. And then finally, uh, also mosey on over to cfp.rubyfuso.org and sign up to speak at your first conference, RubyFuso, next year, February. That's me. My pick then, so if there are any first-person shooter gamers out there, I've started getting back into some Counter-Strike lately, and one of the things uh, that's super important is a good mouse. So I've picked up the SteelSeries Sensei gaming mouse, which... I found it's just the perfect balance. Um, it's nice and light and very, very accurate. So I've been having some good headshots with that. Uh, sorry if you were on the receiving end of that. Um, and then also microphones, since we're on the topic of that. Uh, Gibson has started a side brand called Neat, Neat Microphones. And I'm running the Neat Bumblebee here, which is a really interesting looking mic. It's Aesthetically, it's got this very stark yellow and black kind of color scheme being a bumblebee. Um, some cool lighting effects and all. And it's a really good condenser mic. It goes at about 2,800 Rand. So if you are interested in podcasting and not in spheros, then you can choose which one you want to go for. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's it for me. Thanks for the Song Exploder link. Death Cap for Kitty episodes done downloading. It'll be on my drive tomorrow. Dude, they're all so, so great. I've been Seriously. postponing it a bit. They also part of Radiotopia, aren't they? Yeah, recently they moved over from radio uh, from wherever they were to Radiotopia. Since I'm spending more time in traffic these days, thanks. I'll definitely gladly add that to the queue. Cool, thanks a awesome. lot, everyone. Thanks for listening. Again, this was episode 16 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast from Kevin, Kenneth, and Gabriel. Good night.